Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Moe, and I'm really glad you could join me as this week we're going to be speaking with Jan Chaplitsky about Carbon Click. I really enjoyed this interview because we found out all about his background growing up in Norway, but then moving around the globe, and how he ended up in New Zealand because of a serendipitous meeting. If you enjoy this, then don't forget there's more than 240 other interviews in the back catalog, and there's heaps more information at theseeds.nz. Now let's get straight into this interview with Jan. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Jan Chaplitsky, who's the Chief Product Officer at Carbon Click. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for inviting me. It's a real honor to be here. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, what I'd love to find out about is Carbon Click. But before we do that, I always find it's really interesting to hear about a person's life story as well. So I'm wondering in your case, if we could go back in time and find out a little bit about where you're from. And I'm thinking in particular, like, say, when you were four or five years old, where were you living and what was life like for you? Okay. um, Yeah. So uh, interesting um, place to start. So um, I always tend to say, um, I was born in Norway, but my parents are Polish. Um, so I don't feel like either. <laughs> you talk to my friends um, who are mostly in Norway, or you talk to family that are mostly in Poland, and they will say that I'm definitely not like a Norwegian or definitely not like uh, a Polish person. So uh, that's kind of cool because I can kind of claim that I'm, I'm an international citizen or uh, I, I feel more like just an earthling. Um, and but, what, um, what had taken your parents to Norway then? Um, so they actually worked in um, TV and they uh, spoke to some of their friends back when uh, things were getting um, uh, not great in Poland. Obviously, um, things have been not great for a long time, but Poland was uh, about to be... Um, uh, martial law was about to be introduced and they kind of got that feeling um, because um, media was kind of s- semi-involved in that. Um, so they got um, word that there might be uh, something happening. So they decided to to leave Poland and, and uh, start a, a life internationally. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of how it went. They it went first to Austria and then they got... Um, um, admitted to to Norway as uh, kind of political refugees. Right. Interesting. And so were you growing up in Oslo or a different city or? Yeah. So my hometown was Stavanger, um, which is considered the oil capital of Norway, which maybe connects up to the story of today, which we'll get to later. Um, But yeah, around uh, that early age, um, I was, uh, you know, brought up in kind of a home with, with Polish culture and uh, interacting with uh, kids in, in Norwegian culture. Um, and my parents decided to send me to an international school, um, which is where I picked up this American accent um, because in, in Stavanger, there were a bunch of expats uh, working in the oil industry. Um, so yeah, that's um, a little bit of that part of my life. And um I guess I had a Texan accent for a while, uh, which I'm, I'm glad uh, I no longer have, but uh, it was again, part of shaping me as uh, kind of a semi-international um, person who 
yeah, kind of feels like the world is um, just feels more some kind of more connected to the the world with no boundaries. It's interesting that it sounds like there was a number of different influences then, you know, the Polish heritage, growing up in Norway, going to an international school. Um, yeah, it, at some point people would ask you, where are you from? Did you have a standard answer that you said or, or, was, or did you try to go into the complexities or, yeah, how was that? Yeah, it, it, it was always funny because people were trying to, you know, outsmart, uh, outsmart the system and ask, oh, so where's... Uh, which passport do you have? You know, when I was saying I, I didn't, you know, quite identify with either. And then I would say I, ha I have both. Um, so um, yeah, I've had, I've had a lot of questions in that space, but it's, it's cool to just kind of uh, not, uh, not feel very connected to, to one place. And um, uh, I did actually leave Norway pretty, pretty quickly when I was 18. Um, I decided to study in Denmark, um, took actually my degree uh which was in english uh so business and economics degree in denmark um but in english um and yeah uh, i guess my my international journey really started back then so outside of my home home boundaries yeah that's really interesting you could probably tell from my surname which is mo m-o-e that that's a norwegian name um but for me it was my great grandparents who left norway back in about 1910 and then they went to America. So I've always grown up with this sort of little bit of connection to Norway, but never myself lived there. You know, oh. it's, it's interesting what forms us in our identities is my point. Like similar to you, I've lived in a number of different countries. And so it can be a hard answer if somebody says, where, where are you from? Because of my accent, you know, I grew up in the States as a child, but I actually moved to New Zealand when I was seven years old. So it doesn't, it doesn't match the neat little box that yeah. says, oh, this is a New Zealander. Oh, this is an American or this is a whatever. So I, I sympathize with what you're saying is, <laughs> is what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> it's fun in a way because um, people try to understand uh, a lot about you by maybe trying to figure out about your accent and um, trying to ask, you know, where, where do you, your passport and parents? Uh, it's, it's cool with kind of that, um, not traditional, I guess, exploratory kind of when you first meet someone, those types of questions often arrive. It's cool. To yeah, definitely. Kind of standard. Yeah. So you're coming up through your teenage years. Um, do you remember it as being a moment like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave and go off to a new city, a new country? Like, how did you make that decision? Yeah, I thought about this. And, and what I uh, think happened was um, my parents sending me to that international school, even though I did return to a Norwegian school uh, around grade eight, um, I had already gotten that kind of desire to, to have this international, um, strong international identity. Um, so I was very quickly looking um, for studies abroad. Um, for some reason, I didn't quite want to study in, in Norway. Um, and when this one came up, I was uh, quite happy that Denmark um, had this particular type of program, which was in English and kind of those things that I wanted to study. Um, and uh, it was close to Norway. So if I wanted to go back home and, you know, have cooked meals from uh, by mom, which is always nice when you're a student, um, I could I could get home pretty easily. So um, I ended up uh, yeah, cho choosing that. Um, but I also actually, now that I uh, 
you've reminded me also my high school degree was in English so I had chosen international baccalaureate um, which is a, a well-known uh, kind of high school um, program that, that can be done um, so that was in English as well so uh, mm, certainly part of that international story yeah it's really interesting to kind of trace people's journeys and what led them to do different things so what what did you end up studying there in that first um, time away? Um, in, in Denmark? Yeah, yeah, that first um, degree or, or whatever it was that you yeah. went to do. Yeah, I, I did a pretty standard degree because I, I didn't know what to, to really uh, get into, but I did um, business administration and economics, so a bachelor's in that. And did you know what you wanted to do with that degree or, or what, what came next? Uh, no, I, I did not quite know what to do. Um, so towards the end of my studies, I started planning a trip. Um, it was meant to be a trip around the world um, where I was going to um, hopefully discover what I want to uh, do a master's in, because uh, that's kind of the, the, the typical structure uh, in Scandinavia. So three years bachelor's and two years master's. Um, so yeah, I wanted to go around the world and figure out what kind of master's degree should I take? Um, and yeah, because um, because I actually was sent to, um, I was kind of between grades, uh, the international school took me a year early. So when I had gone into the Norwegian school, I was always the youngest um, and, and I had been the youngest for, for all my kind of years growing up in, in class. Um, and then actually as well, because I had chosen my degree in Denmark, I had postponed uh, my military service um, in, in Norway, which to go down that rabbit hole, I actually uh, was going to do a civil duty because um, I was a pacifist. I had defined myself as a pacifist. So I didn't want to go to the military. Um, but all that got extended or pushed out because I had um, decided to start studying in Denmark. So is that is that common at the end of high school? Do people normally do their military service or when when do people normally do it? Correct. Yeah. So when, when somebody's 18, that's when they normally go into a year's military service. Uh, and it's quite a rite of passage in Norway. Um, so you know, kind of grow up um, uh, when, when you go to the military. And, and I've never had that. So <laughs> maybe part of why I am like I am today. Bit of a, yeah. But it sounds like you had pretty strong principles, even as an 18-year-old, if you were planning on doing the civil duty is that, is that right or uh well that's kind of the default so if if you're uh, you know you have to do one or the other um okay. i um for my father's recommendation you know do, do not go to the military in norway um you know they respect your views and um you know if you're a pacifist you can you're then um you know you're looking to do the civil duty um it's kind of the the fallback so you have to do one or the other um and uh yeah that's kind of how i decided to to go and um i applied for an extension on that because i went to denmark to study um and yeah that kind of became um uh, looping all that to the start of the question so i was actually um thinking about doing that international trip when all my friends were still studying because they had been to the military i had gotten an exemption um i had actually been the youngest in class so they were quite far behind me um 
So I was asking uh, quite a few people, um, what are you doing next year? Do you want to go travel? Um, and it was quite hard to find somebody to go with. And I, I really didn't want to go alone either. Um, so I ended up meeting uh, a friend of a friend um, who had plans to go to South America. Um, so we kind of compromised and we decided to go to Southeast Asia. And um, she had gotten her friend to come along as well. And I hit it on with her friend who uh, that was Matilda and she is now my wife. Um, and yeah, that was again, start of another crazy chapter um, where, you know, traveled Southeast Asia and then ended up moving to London together. Um, right. And what, what year are we talking about at the moment? Like Southeast Asia trip, for example. So that was 2000, uh, late 2006, start of 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I, I had decided to, um, they had some delays on their end. So I decided to go alone after all. Uh, I spent uh, six weeks in India um, alone. So definitely jumping into the deep end of the pool. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, met up with them in, in Thailand and we traveled together um, throughout Southeast Asia. Yeah. And, and did it help you to know what you were going to do next? Did that travel shape you into the decision or? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it certainly shaped me, but um, it didn't quite uh, result in what I wanted it to um, result in. So um, I thought I might have this realization that oh, I want to do this in, in life or I want to do that in life. But now instead of I met this girl and I wanted to uh, continue the relationship with her. So we were looking, you know, how can we make this work? And we ended up deciding, hey, uh, let's let's move to London. Um, and I kind of just started my career in London. Um, never had time to, um, you know, do my master's, do my civil service, mm. um, move back to Norway all of that just went, went straight out the window. Mm. It's interesting how life can do that sometimes, isn't it? You know, you plan one way and then it ends up going another. I, oh yeah. Planning is useless. I went over for a, a short OE to London around the same time, actually. And it ended up being about 12 years. I was gone from New Zealand. So that one year OE became more than a decade. Yeah. So, so you moved to London then and what were you doing there? Um, yeah, so London was, um, it was challenging at first. I remember uh, Matilda got her job um, first um, and her paycheck was, um, I believe, 1,200 quid a month when our flat was 900 quid a month um, rent. So it was definitely pretty tough, but I, uh, I ended up getting a, a job I was you know, very lucky, lucky to get. Um, I was a software consultant. Um, and it leveraged that role leveraged um the fact that i was from from norway um because this company was uh, had a european headquarters in london but i was responsible for a bunch of clients in scandinavia um so i was flying lots um from london to uh, work on you know, customizing the software and identifying problems that customer had solving um those problems and um, that certainly shaped um, my career um, from from that point onwards. Mm. And was it what year was this then? Two thousand seven or something like that? Or? Yeah. So this was late um, 
late 2007. Right. Um, yeah. I'm just so, curious because we probably walked by each other in the road somewhere at Liverpool probably. Station or and, something because we were living there 2005 until basically started 2008. So interesting. Yeah. yeah you, you would have seen me running because I was always running um, right. between work and the tube and then, you know, tube and home. Um, but quite possibly I used to get off at bank. Um, yeah. And uh, oh yeah, you take the Northern Line. Yeah, right. Interesting. Yeah, we lived in Hackney, so we used mm. to get the number eight bus back home. So you're in London. Um, obviously, we're here in New Zealand now. Can you just talk us through some of the transitions that happened? And um, yeah, I'm I'm keen also to learn more about carbon collect. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, after four years in London, we were really almost. Um, it's just very intense and, and as you know it's very uh london is an amazing place to visit uh it's a little bit tougher on the, the life um so you know commuting um high well it's it's a high intense pl intensity place and um we were thinking you know what about family where do we want to be long term and i actually convinced matilda that hey let's move to norway um, so we packed our bags and we sent all our stuff to Norway. Um, but because we, we always were very fond of travel, um, we decided to do another, uh, half year off. Um, so we did some travel around Europe. Uh, we went to, uh, India again, um, Nepal and New Zealand. Um, so on that trip, um, we, we arrive in New Zealand, uh, after, um, being in Nepal and India and, we were just blown away. It was the most amazing experience to arrive in New Zealand. Um, it was uh, summer. We stopped on a traffic light um, in, in, in CBD and people were saying, welcome to New Zealand. Do you need any help finding, because we had this guidebook, you know, so do you need any help finding um, wherever you, you need to go? And, and we were just like, man, this country is amazing. Um, so we ended up walking into a, a pub and we decided to share half a pint. Um, that was the, the budget um, and started talking to a gentleman at that pub um, who started complaining about how difficult it is to find good people uh, in New Zealand. <laughs> and we just randomly um, started talking about, you know, what kind of people are you looking for? And he was working for a software company. Um, they were going um, moving to methodology called agile um so they wanted somebody kind of fresh with new ideas and he thought i should apply for that role um and that uh that ended up in uh, me getting a job offer in new zealand uh, which is chicken and egg problem because with a job offer you can get a, a work visa um quite easily so um, we decided you know what we can always move to norway later let's try out new zealand wow so you're having sharing a half a pint and you happen to meet someone who needs to hire someone and it exactly. ends up being you. Yes. Yes. It is. It is quite a, a crazy coincidence, but um, that was just, and that was the first day in New Zealand as well. So wow. it was just, we That's were amazing. We were in quite awe. an impression. I think the best word is serendipity for those situations, isn't it? Like just chance meetings that lead to opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. And it's, it's been nine years. So, um, yeah, certainly extremely happy all that happened. Mm. 
Oh, that's great. So you got into that position and then, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about what you're up to today. Yeah, so that's a, a, a decent transition over to Carbon Click. So um, I started um, with the software company um, as a business analyst. So that was very much um, leveraging what I had done in London, but also upskilling a bunch of new skills. And that's kind of what I've always wanted to do uh, in terms of how I progress my career. Um, so uh, I did that for a few years, then I decided to you know, throw myself in the deep end again. So I decided to be um, self-employed, so software contractor. Um, went to two uh, large New Zealand businesses where um, I was doing business analysis. And uh, one day, one of the projects I was working on um, was this carbon offsetting feature. And being inquisitive and asking questions, uh, it felt to me like, you know, this, this feature, uh, surely we shouldn't be doing everything from scratch. So everybody was involved, you know, the tech team was doing, building the technology, uh, the sustainability team was guiding us on, you know, emissions factors and how to calculate um, emissions and which carbon offsetting projects. And it was just, yeah, difficult. And I uh, tend to think that uh, you know, no business today, if they want to market, will create their own marketing tool, or if they want to um, track their sales pipeline, create the sales tool, like you just pick something up off the shelf. Um, and during that time, uh, I had been brainstorming with some colleagues, various ideas, how we can use technology for greater good. And, and I pitched this idea, you know, what if we created something that made it really simple for businesses to bring carbon offsets into their business, um, and yeah, that alongside a few other things. So um, we tried to rethink a little bit about how carbon offsets work and how people engage with them. Um, we ended up creating Carbon Click, which is an off the shelf um, platform for businesses to adopt carbon offsets. Um, and yeah, that's been now, believe it or not, three years. I couldn't believe this myself, but about three years since I had the kind of original idea and it's been through quite a few milestones uh, in terms of you know, doing an accelerator, getting some seed capital, you know, the, the typical startup journey, I guess it's, it's a little bit stereotypical in a way. So just break down for me. I'm really curious about, I'm always wanting to understand why people do what they do. So just break down for us, like the, I guess the intellectual challenge or the software solution side of the business versus over here, the, the purpose and why you're doing it that way. You know, like you can have a solution from a technical perspective, but it, it may not actually be adding much value mm. to the world. <laughs> it seems like this, you're actually trying to achieve something which um, is kind of future looking in a way, you know, like um, measuring and tracking it. And yeah, just talk us through that dynamic, like w which bit of it was pushing you on to set this yeah, up? So, um, Similarly to how I mentioned with with the um, with the career, I always look for you know how can I use what I already know and leverage that uh, to do new things. Um, so in a way, I was thinking already from from that trip to India, uh, Southeast Asia, I was quite concerned about my environmental impact. Uh, I was you know I had seen firsthand uh, the planet, uh, the environmental impact of of humans. You know it's inevitable um but i wanted to do something about mine and and i guess um 
I saw an opportunity here to maybe do that at scale. So use my skills, use my personal desire to do something about my footprint, scratch my own itch, um, use um, uh, the technology that you know, I, I, I know how to design and think about technology. This was what I've been doing for a long time. And um, I also saw indicators kind of in the market, the Climate Leaders Coalition, a group of, of a lot of uh, major uh, emitters in New Zealand, they had gotten together and I was like, I think there's a real opportunity here. So these businesses are going to want to take action. So um, it was kind of the trifecta. I thought, okay, this is something I want to do for myself. Uh, I can leverage what I know and I see reason why some businesses would want to do this. So um, we decided to pursue it and you know, we're challenged many, many times. We had many, many gates where, you know, do we continue, do we not? Uh, I guess the biggest one still is, um, you know, it's been three years of backbreaking work. Um, the impact might not be that huge just yet. Um, the climate change problem is overwhelmingly huge. Um, so, you know, should I just have been working uh, earning that higher salary, maybe putting 30% of my uh, earnings into carbon offsets, maybe that would have been an, a net positive to, to what we've done to date. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And, um, you know, we still don't know if this is going to work, but uh, we keep seeing indications that, you know, there is, there is we are solving a, a problem. Uh, we are making it easy. We, all the data we went and got in the, in the market, it's, it's all kind of confirming. Uh, so we still have quite high confidence to continue. And, and this year is, and saying that last year as well, but this year is going to be certainly uh, really interesting and, and tough. How does it actually work? Just guide us through, let's say there was a, a new company or a new, new people were interested. Yeah, just talk us through the practical side of what it actually does. Yeah, so, um, a few ways. So as a business, depending on what you are, um, we are, it's almost blessing and a curse because the climate problem is so huge. We've made sure that we uh, work for as many types of businesses as possible. So we have all the way from just a plugin. So we can you know, plug it into your say e-commerce platform really easily to more like a, an enterprise um, add-on. So we're just working with AA Smart Fuel uh, on uh, a solution. So that's kind of the, the spectrum. Um, so in terms of that, we've just made the technology as, as bulletproof and as simple as possible to integrate with. Um, so the tech team have the easiest possible time with us um, and just bulldozer all the tech challenges. Um, then on the business side, uh, you know, we try to do as much as we can. So uh, we, we work with the business on, um, you know, re a reduction journey. How does this fit with your overall sustainability toolkit? Um, we have put a lot of effort into the offsets we source. So very strict offsetting methodology. We've consulted a bunch of experts. We've done a lot of due diligence. So just on the offset side, um, make that as simple as possible. And the key there to remember is um, these are projects that fight climate change that otherwise wouldn't have been there. So um, we, we're looking for the projects that tick the most number of boxes and do the most possible good uh, in addition to the carbon currency. There's, there's all a lot other 
so-called co-benefits um, that we also look for. Um, and for the consumer, um, so from just being a simple green button at the checkout to add a little carbon offset with your, um, with your purchase to a more kind of full blown, so calculating the emissions, maybe it's a flight, maybe it's um, you driving across you know, a, a distance, we, we do calculations um, and we um, integrate uh, so that the customer can choose to, to take action. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. It's just good to understand practically what is it, how does it work, you know? Um, and just thinking, you mentioned there like the overall sustainability or the overall sustainable policies and things like that. Is that an area that you can, um, yeah, that, that do you offer people ideas about what they should be looking to do um, in terms of thinking sustainably? Yeah, yeah. So um, what I've identified that it is, is um, we're all kind of on a climate journey. Some people might be very early, obviously ignoring the climate deniers, but most people are on a journey. So um, they might be dipping their toes into climate action. Uh, other people might be very uh, far along that journey. Um, what we do want to make sure is that we only work with businesses that are really set on uh, going down that journey and, um, you know, investing into uh, reducing and, and inside the reducing component, that's really an umbrella for a lot of things. Um, I call it the sustainability toolkit. Uh, offsetting is a tool. Uh, reducing your emissions is, um, I guess, a, a toolkit again, um, because you can do so many things. So uh, we try to make it simple. That's kind of our approach. So pragmatic, simple, uh, practical. Uh, we give businesses um, the low-hanging fruit, how to be most effective on your climate journey. Because um, it's, it's, yeah, it's very hard to find a balance because we're trying to do this at scale um, to have a, a meaningful impact. Um, but also, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you, you, it's hard to work individually with everyone. So you, you sometimes get people who just want uh, to do the offsetting and actually don't want to do too much else. Um, so it's, yeah, it's hard. It's quite hard. Yeah, well, I think what you said is right. Everybody's on a different journey in terms of their understanding and awareness and how far they want to go. I, I work as a lawyer, as I think you know, so I deal a lot with purpose-driven entrepreneurs. And it's always fascinating because um, some people are at, at one end and others are just at the very beginnings of the journey. So it's one thing to talk about sustainability and stewardship and the future and things, but what does it actually mean for your business? So I can ask some pretty pointed questions like, would you be willing to change the constitution of your company to enshrine the purposes which are beyond profit? You know, like that's quite confronting. And some people are like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> that's not what I thought we were talking about. Whereas others would be more like, well, you know, we, we just want to develop a, a, a policy or, you know, something that's a little bit less extreme. So, yeah, I think it's, I guess is every situation is going to be different, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It certainly is. And um, yeah, it's uh, just, just with offsetting, um, you know, it is, it is 
a tool that needs to be used in in a bigger picture. So uh, we've been heavily investing into making sure that you know it's the other side of the coin. So so actually uh, focusing on reduce trying to get businesses to really understand how they can reduce their emissions, how they can be part of a low carbon future, and then uh, taking offsets, bringing those in um, you know, for, for the tail end. So you know, what cannot be reduced practically today. Yeah. And you mentioned sort of the startup journey. Um, what would you have advice for people three years ago where you were sitting? Like, what do you wish that you had known? Maybe sometimes it's not good to know. You know, you just have to go in blind in some ways because you learn as you go but any thoughts on that sort of a question or wisdom you can share with others who may be on a startup journey yeah possibly quite a few so i i think um just personally i am really really um happy and grateful that this is an idea that i'm truly passionate about um so you know if you're going to put in huge number of hours and and you know when you really don't want to do it when your friends are out drinking or whatever um, you have, you have to have that purpose behind um, the business. Um, so, you know, just consider the fact that it's going to be a really hard journey and um, it got to be something you're really, really excited about. Um, the next one is team. Like just realize there's no way you can do this yourself. Right. With some exceptions, but uh, it's always so much more impactful when you do it as a, as a team and you let those people contribute to the, to the, um, uh, I guess, entirety of, of what you're trying to do. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really important to have good people and, and trust that, you know, they're, they're there to support you and um, basically get behind the cause and, and the business to, to make it successful. So yeah, we put a, a lot of effort into uh, working on the company culture and uh, making sure that everybody really loves, um, you know, working for Carbon Click and feel really uh, part of the mission. Mm. Yeah, I can see where what you're doing. Like it would be in some ways easy to get behind it. You know, it's 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 helping to solve a massive crisis and things. But you mentioned the culture side of things and developing the people as well. What, have you got any tips on? how to develop a, a good culture or yeah, what, what are some of the things that you do? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, the thing that comes to mind was our epic Christmas trip, but that's, <laughs> uh, we, 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 uh, canoed down the Fanganui river. Um, so, so that was amazing, but more on a day-to-day, -day, uh, basis. Um, I, um, I think just autonomy and, and trust, um, is, is really important. So, um, you know, giving people that flexibility and, and giving, you know, trusting them with, with big things. Um, I, I'm personally really, uh, I, I do a lot of that. And you know, sometimes it's possibly a little bit too much and I'm, you know, very sparse with, with instructions and, and uh, support. Um, but overall, um, you know, it's, it's really great to you know, work at this really high pace and have people buy in and, and, take responsibility and deliver great work um, that then feeds really quickly into uh, the big picture. So we might ship the product really quickly or um, that um, piece of work that somebody was working on uh, adds instant value. Uh, I think that's, that's yeah, really, uh, it's quite a big, big part of it. Yeah, no, that's good. I like that idea of um, trusting people enough to let them fly. Right. <laughs> 
And just, I think the way that we connected initially was probably through Edmund Hillary Fellowship. Um, can you just describe a little bit about that for some people who don't know what it is? And, and yeah, why did you get involved in that? Yeah, so um, the Edmund Hillary Fellowship is, um, is effectively a group of people that are looking to create positive impact from New Zealand. Um, but I believe about 80% are international um, and as part of doing good and growing positive impact from New Zealand, um, they, they get um, a bunch of points and if they get enough points, they might get a visa, um, residency visa for New Zealand. So um, there's some, a, a really good incentive there for those international participants to, to help um, grow impact from New Zealand. So um, I, I thought I had to, so I applied to the last cohort and I was gutted to hear that it was uh, stopping um, the, the program. So I applied, uh, I thought I had to have lots of success already to, to be part of it. Um, but I think uh, the, the Carbon Click mission and uh, kind of my personal journey uh, spoke to the um, panel and I was, um, you know, admitted, which is, uh, yeah, really, really humbled by that and honored um, to be kind of waving that flag. You know, we're, we're trying, uh, and we are actually having some early um, positive impact um, internationally. Um, we just signed Etihad Airways um, and we got a bunch of other amazing, uh, I guess, still early adopters um, that are coming on board. Um, but yeah, really excited by the fellowship, uh, getting support from a bunch of fellows. Uh, a lot of them have done amazing things already, scaled international businesses. So um, yeah, helping, I guess, uh, together, uh, we're, we're doing great things out of New Zealand and it's gonna be a really exciting year ahead. Yeah, I agree. I, I, like you, I joined in the cohort seven I was in. So it's been really fascinating to get to know some of the people and looking at the, what people have been involved in. But everybody I've met has brought this real, I guess, um, in some ways reflecting Edmund Hillary, I think. Just his approach when he, when he was asked, you know, to describe what he'd achieved, he said, well, I just climbed the mountain. It was the media that made me into something else. And I think that, you know, that sort of approach or attitude seems to be evident in the people like the, each person I've met is doing something really cool, really unique, whether it's sending rockets to Mars or helping, you know, with oceans and ecology or like you, you know, what you're doing with software and carbon click. It's everybody's on a journey and doing something pretty cool, but um, all willing to help and, and journey together. So yeah, it'll be fascinating. The thing that I think will be fascinating is to make it a longitudinal study and watch in the decades to come, the connections that happen now that lead to new initiatives that, you know, if those people hadn't been thrown together, a little bit like you're um, having the beer in the pub, you know, <laughs> and then what did it lead to? So yeah, yeah, oh, it's, um, yeah, I feel like every person I talk to um, is, uh, you know, just the ability to do something together and, and uh, you know, could be, could be small, could be big, but it's been really amazing way to, to connect with people. Um, yeah. And, I, and, and I'm really grateful that we also actually got connected through that. So um, yeah, I guess the That's journey cool. continues in that regard as well. Yeah. And we'll put in the show notes, we'll put some links to things like Edmund Hillary fellowship. We can add their website. 
Speaking of which, I assume that we can put some links in the show notes if people are interested in Carbon Click. What's the best way for them to connect or, or reach out to you? Um, well, carbonclick.com. We're quite lucky, got that domain pretty cheap. <laughs> um, but yeah, carbonclick.com is our, our home base. Um, if somebody wants to reach out to me directly, I'm, I'm very um, prolific, I guess, on email. I send a lot of them. I get a lot of them, um, but I will get back to uh, every email. Um, so that's jan at carbonclick.com, uh, spelled with a J. And um, yeah, I would probably say that's, that's, the, that's the easiest way. So I'm, I'm very happy to reach out and speak on an individual basis or um, just see you pop by uh, carbonclick.com. We have the individuals um, oper- you know, offering as well, which is um, offsetting your life, you know, go carbon neutral as, a, as an individual. Um, so I hope maybe somebody will sign up to that um, and, and be part of our climate journey and take us into their climate journey. Um, but yeah, very, uh, very exciting times ahead and yeah, really grateful for all the support. Yeah. And when you look at it, like we've mentioned, um, the complexity of the issues and things, are you, yeah, what's your, having been involved in it for three years now, what's your feeling uh, in terms of hope for the future, feeling depressed the more you get into it? Or yeah, how, how would you rate yourself there? <laughs> uh, well, uh, this is my personality. I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. Um, it, is, it is pretty bleak. Um, it is certainly uh, a huge, huge problem. And we don't really have the... Um, I call it the climate action movement is, is not really strong enough yet. Um, this is, you know, it requires all hands on deck type approach. Um, so I'm very happy to see more businesses starting in this space and I welcome them to team planet. Um, but I, I generally think that uh, we have a lot of tools and we are as, as humans, we are absolutely amazing at solving big problems together. Um, so I am quite optimistic. I'm very excited about how, you know, cheap solar has gotten um, the battery tech revolutions that are happening, hydrogen even, although I'm a bit of a skeptic on that, but um, I think there's a huge possibility we're going to get behind this and we're going to, um, do some really amazing things for the planet in the next few years. And with that, um, also significantly address the emissions and how it is, uh, you know, to, to be human and, and, and consume. And possibly we um, can actually figure out ways where consumption doesn't always equal destruction. Uh, we can consume in regenerative ways. So, yeah, it's going to be very exciting years, next 10 years in terms of that. That's good. Well, let's end it on that note because I like the positive um, thinking and talking because, um, yeah, maybe we can do another episode. Let's, let's book it in in, in 2031. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carbon Click would have completely uh, changed their business model because there's no offsetting happening. Um, <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll always be uh, even like even debt. There's so much uh, carbon, I guess, uh, carbon emissions in, in the atmosphere that um, I think we'll still be trying to uh, pump those out in many years to come. But um, yeah, it'll be good to do a, another episode. Yeah. Well, I think it's good to have a business that one day, hopefully it's no longer needed, right? <laughs> That's, that would be awesome. Um, well, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And in the show notes, we'll put some links to things if people want to find out more. 
Um, but I really enjoyed hearing about your childhood, you know, your own sense of identity and the fact that you view yourself as an earthling rather than any one nationality. I think that's really interesting. But then also just hearing some of those coincidences, you know, that you met, well, first of all, in the travels that you met Matilda, but then, you know, you're in a pub, you meet somebody. But what I'd leave with the listener is that it takes the eyes to see the opportunity when those things come about. You have to be able to say, well, even though we were about to move to Norway, we're going to shift our plans and we're going to come here. So for the listeners, what are the situations that every day are presenting themselves that maybe if you had the right eyes, there could be new opportunities that open up? But yeah, thanks so much for your time. We'll, we'll throw some things in the show notes and um, great to chat with you. Thank you, Stephen. Till next time, have a fantastic rest of the day. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview with Jan. If you did, then you might want to check out some of the other episodes in the back catalog. There's more than 240, and there's heaps more information at theseeds.nz, as well as a LinkedIn page, a Facebook page, a Twitter page, plenty of ways to connect. And I really do appreciate those of you who are willing to share about Seeds on social media. It definitely leads to an increased number of listens. And so I do want to say thank you. Until next time.